Am I going? I'm speeding. I'm going to turn off my air conditioner. Yeah, just keep an extra eye on your Adobe Audition. But why don't you tell us what happened? Why don't you tell the listeners what happened? <laughs> and okay. why the interview will sound a little, uh, a little jarring. I'm pissed because... <laughs> <laughs> It's always a lovely way to start a podcast. So I'm record. I am recording my audio in Adobe Audition, which is in many other ways a wonderful tool. And um, you know, when when you're recording, your audio track is red, and there's the red dot on right. the program that says it's going and. Then in the bottom lower left of the window, it says recording, right? And I look right. over an hour and 15 minutes into our podcast, and it says recording. The um, audio track is red. There's the red dot, which is active, but the playhead's not moving. And then I click on the program because I'm like, what? That's weird. And apparently it hadn't been recording for half an hour. But all of these visual cues were telling me that it was, except for the playhead wasn't moving. And I don't know why. I, it stopped recording in the middle of when I was talking. I wasn't fidgeting with the program. So, no. look, that and is just... And you just updated it. And I just updated it. And, um, you know, in design, thinking there's the concept of pain points thinking about an experience with a <laughs> with a program and the a pain point is basically when something happens and it sucks so hard <laughs> that you uh, <laughs> that that if that problem is not fixable then you will never want to use that program again and um, <laughs> for instance if your flight gets canceled and you don't get any um, sort of uh, adjusted travel plans or if you're sitting on the runway for five hours in an airplane. And for me, this is the, uh, <laughs> this is the canceled delayed five hours plane ride of audio recording. <laughs> I cannot believe that they did me like this. Uh, All signs are go, but the plane's yeah. not taking off. <laughs> yeah just a quick disclosure to our listeners that the audio will sound a little different a little funky about two-thirds of the way in well is your playhead moving now oh it's moving but i'm oh, i've got i've got one moving. eye on it and i've got my other eye on a little spider on my wall is it a cute little spider yeah it's a cute little guy um, let's do this podcast. All right, all right. Andrew, I was just going to ask if you've fallen in love with our theme song yet, because you had some misgivings early on, since you created it yourself. But then before I got to asking that, I thought, it's a little long. 
<laughs> <laughs> no, I still want, and I still want uh, Shauna to create a better track for us. Yeah. No, she she would great. do it, by the way. Uh, we're we're going to need to fundraise or something. But uh, here- Welcome to, no, William. Sorry. <laughs> welcome to EdTech Cafe, uh, another episode of EdTech Cafe, our podcast series by the educational technology team at Stanford Medicine. Our team sits at the intersection of art, science, and education, and in this space, we'll sit down with other media and production-savvy professionals to discuss how they use their talents to support science and improve educational outcomes across the globe. I'm Jessica Whittemore, joined by my sparkling co-hosts, William Bettini and Andrew Beck. How are y'all doing today? Could be better, I guess, right, William? <laughs> yeah, it could be better. Could be better. Could be better. Uh, on today's episode, we are joined by Lauren Watley, who is one of my very favorite cat ladies. <laughs> <laughs> A dear colleague of ours. Yes. And honestly, like an inspiration. I feel like she's so quiet, but I feel like she's leading the direction of our of a lot of our production work yeah and i i don't want to repeat myself but um i i did find it her whole roundabout background like quite inspiring especially given the fact that um she took on a lot of these innovative tasks and roles um within our team once she embedded herself in ed tech absolutely and when i think about uh me as a child, like loving art and theater and then not pursuing it at all in my education. Cause you know, my dad was very like, you should learn stats or whatever. Um, hearing about all of y'all being artists and training in art and then ending up in what I think is such a cool job, uh, with the Stanford school of medicine as like full-time artists, I just find that so inspiring and I want to I want to tell everyone about it. Like I want to get those stories out there. Lauren's awesome. Yeah. She is awesome. And Jessica, that's why we're doing the podcast, isn't it? We are telling that story. Well, whether you like <laughs> it or not, Andrew, that's this is my goal for the podcast. <laughs> nice. What else do you want to say about Lauren? She's just a treat. I can't wait for y'all to hear it. A A treat? treat? A treat of the day? (laughs) Treat. Treat of the day. Treat of the day. Treat of the day. Treat of the day. I would like to say that I did that accidentally. Um, But (laughs) that's a great transition into our treat of the day. Um, We here at the EdTech Cafe like to enjoy... A treat with our coffee or our tea and it can be uh any flavor we like what's our flavor today mm. william well today i've put a little bit of almonds uh in my coffee <laughs> and let me tell you uh by the time you get to the end of your coffee cup you've forgotten that the almonds are there and you're like what am i doing <laughs> <laughs> So, I love how literally you're taking all this. Well, well, let me tell you. Just um, I was con- I was thinking about this treat of the day, and 
it was a sort of a roundabout journey. I had a lot of things on my mind. Um, it always is. <laughs> I wanted to share. I just read this graphic novel called Wendy, Master of Art by Walter Scott. This is the third graphic novel book about this character, Wendy, who is an artist trying to find their way in the world. And in this one, she goes to school to get a master's of art. And it, it got me reflecting on my own educational journey because this book doesn't pull any punches about how weird and pretentious and awkward and non-functioning master's programs can be. <laughs> and that just got me thinking about education in general, the history of education. And in particular, in these times, I was just learning about um, homeschool pods and what people are doing for educating their kids in the fall because most of the schools are going to be shut down. And there's this new... Most of the physical okay. learning will be shut down. The yes, will sorry. Be the, the, the physical spaces will be shut down. So some people are pooling resources to have homeschooling pods of like, you know, six to ten kids by... It's essentially private education at a high price. Made me... I was thinking about the history of education. I was reading about it. I was reading about the Prussian model of educate of public education that really started the movement of public education that exists today. And then I realized I'm just going down a Wikipedia rab rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. You <laughs> and got like 10 links here. <laughs> I'm like 10 links down. And I realized like, wow, what I'm, what I'm doing right now is like I'm just going through Wikipedia and I feel like interested in maybe just talking a little bit about Wikipedia in our own lives because um, in a stealthy sort of way, it is one of the biggest education technologies that we use every day. It's one of the most heavily trafficked sites on the internet and it has been for almost 20 years. Um, so yeah, I wanted to maybe just bring up Wikipedia. Have you, have you guys, what do you think about Wikipedia and have you ever edited a Wikipedia page? Well, I remember in, uh, I guess mostly in undergrad when writing papers that we were told that absolutely under no circumstances <laughs> could we use Wikipedia as one of yeah. our references you got to have a minimum number of references. I was but told that in high school, too. I may have been told that in high school. I may also be a little older than you. <laughs> <laughs> but it honestly and objectively is the largest repository for knowledge. And like the, the amount of information in it, the accuracy of the information is kind of astounding. Um, and I wonder now if people are allowed to reference it. Yeah, I remember, um, I had a, uh, one of my high school teachers did one of the, like an edit test and, um, intentionally wrote something that was wrong on some Wikipedia page that I forget about. 
Um, and he tested how long it would take for Wikipedia to correct that mistake or remove it. And he said it was um, somewhere in the ballpark of an hour. And this is, mm. this is the late 2000s. Um, so I, I wonder if uh, the algorithm has gotten a lot better now or something. But it's fairly responsive in terms of keeping up with the accuracy of information. Um, and it definitely is like one of my primary <laughs> educational tools. And I know it, it's true for most of my friends as well. It's certainly so, where I go first, and then I like may click on the reference links within Wikipedia, but it's certainly become the go-to. And do, do you, are you both familiar with how Wikipedia is written? Uh, aside from just like a collective uh, kind of pasting, collective pasting of information from a hive mind? It's about 6,000 regular editors constantly editing the site and reviewing changes and like to that point about the editing test the reason that that change gets reverted so quickly is is that people have like pet pages that they that they uh edit and kind of essentially gatekeep on and um they can see whenever a change is made and review it for accuracy and undo that change if if needed but also they can see they can see you as another editor the history of changes that you've made and essentially find out if you're a troll or not and and ban you <laughs> oh really um, yeah so there's like a lot of transparency about who's doing the editing and what sort of editor they are. Uh, I think that it's just such an interesting system of, you know, open editing project that is to a large degree, like self, uh, regulating. I, I do have, I do have one gripe with Wikipedia though, which is that whatever that hive mind is not privy to or not aware of, um, they ha what they haven't been exposed to won't be part of that information, won't yeah. be part of that database. And it's something I've come into quite frequently when, um, because I'm Korean-American, I, I have a lot of interest in Korean history, Korean culture, that I end up resorting to Wikipedia for a lot of times. Um, and one of the things that has bothered me is just how little information... Uh, gets posted uh, or just not information but just like details um, specific uh, facts or even certain anecdotes um, just a lot of that gets omitted because primarily I would imagine it's a lot of western westerners probably a lot of Americans who are editing or making changes to the website. And of course, it, I mean, it has to do with the fact that I'm looking at the English version of Wikipedia because right. Wikipedia comes in the form of so many other languages. But I do notice knowledge gaps every now and then, um, not just with Korean, Korean culture and history, but um, I don't know, like movie history or... Um, just just the things that are not general public knowledge um, tends to get left out. Well, and that's kind of like the um, what's the word? Not a drawback, but kind of like the risk 
of resorting to Wikipedia as a primary educational tool. And with that kind of like demographic specificity within the editors or within the hive mind or whatever, um, there's definitely bound to be a slant. You know, there's definitely bound to be bias. Yeah. In terms and you of, can see um, like the sorts of yeah. pages that have so much detail versus um, other pages that have less information. I, I would say, uh, you know, it, it is really valuable to spend some time reading the Wikipedia page about Wikipedia uh, because it, it highlights a lot of these topics that you're bringing up, um, you know, even across all of the different language editions of Wikipedia, they're all generally Eurocentric anyway, and there are a lot of systemic biases in the encyclopedia. So yeah, it's a, it's it, it, you know in addition to being Eurocentric, the vast majority of the editors are white men, and there are there have been some issues of sexism in the editor community, in addition to you know issues with privacy because there is that transparency about who's editing what. Um, but yeah, I would encourage everyone to read the Wikipedia page on Wikipedia because it is such an important aspect of our lives and it's good to look under the hood and and see kind of the the context and the implicit biases in that system are the editors volunteers or paid? sorry there's some uh loud music outside of my my window um yeah uh um i don't you know i don't know all of the specific specifics but i know most of the editors are volunteer but it's become something of like a, a, a job or an extreme hobby for a lot of them. Yeah. Mm. I, I think I remember them putting out a call that if you are a person of not, if you're not a white male and want to edit Wikipedia, like try to put yourself out there to jump into the community. Something to think about. Andrew, maybe you could build out some of your own pages. <laughs> It's true. I've always I've always thought about it, um, but then again, I'm I'm more of a lazy browser than an active uh, contributor. <laughs> so, speaking of browsing, I wanted to play a game with everybody. Um, oh, because w- Wikipedia has so many articles, and you've probably played at least once in your life the uh, Wikipedia game where you start on one article and you try to get to the oh. to another article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I haven't. You just haven't? Just using links, just using links, right? Yeah, so the game the rules of the game are you start on one article and your goal is to try to get to another article only using hyperlinks in the articles that you click. So uh, you start on page A, there's a link to page B, there's a link to page C, and then you go there and you see how many, how few clicks it will take you to get to the target article. Okay. So in our show notes, I put a starting point article. If you just click on that, let me know if you <laughs> see it or not. It's a <laughs> link to the Teletubbies Wikipedia page. Yes. And I, I think... Okay, and, and I'm thinking maybe we can just talk through our decisions as we do this. Uh, the target article for you to get to is almonds. Ooh. Do which they I have put in my coffee. Be, do they have to be coffee soaked? 
No. Okay. We <laughs> Just the general article for almonds. almonds. And it requires a little bit of perusing through the Teletubbies article itself to see, because I see like links for Earth House, Vacuum Cleaner, Triangular Antenna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, the first moon landing. <laughs> Okay, yeah, okay, just if you make a click, say it out loud so everyone can know. Yeah, I'm going to take a stab with... Ooh, okay, I see chicken nuggets here for ooh, some reason. I'm going there too. Okay, I'm going to click on chicken well, nugget. I'm going to go to bear. <laughs> All right, we got bear and we got chicken nugget. Bears of the family Ursidae. Ooh, maybe oh. they eat almonds or something. <laughs> no, but maybe there's, they there's one eat species. something that eats almonds. Okay. Okay. Uh, salmon chicken probably nugget. don't eat almonds. I already like what I see in the first uh, paragraph, which is, uh, you know, chicken product made from chicken meat that is breaded or battered. So I'm going to go with breaded. Mm. I clicked on vegetarian in the vegetarian alternatives to chicken nuggets, hoping I can get to nuts. Yeah, I'm trying to get to, like, do do people bread with almonds? Like, is that possible? <laughs> Breaded yeah, you almonds? Can, you, can, <laughs> you can bread with nuts. Um, I'm going to click on omnivorous. Ooh, I found grain. Because breading is a dry, grain-derived food coating. Ooh, this one has protein in it. So I may click on that, but I'm just giving a little looky here. Ooh, fruitarianism. <laughs> I'm clicking on that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of fruitarianism. That's where oh, you only man. eat fruits. I'm very Ooh. close. Ooh, is a nut a legume? <gasps> Some nuts are legumes. Oh, Peanut, oh okay. Peanuts I, are legumes? I see legume as well. Almonds are I'm not so legumes. I'm so close. Damn it. Oh, shoot. Oh my gosh, There's, to go back? there are too I'm many options here. You're not allowed to go back. You made your click. Only forward. Damn it. Oh, excuse me. Darn it. Oh, peanuts? I see peanuts. All right. I'm getting so close. Oh, okay. I found it. Yes, I win. Yeah. Oh. Almond. So it took me. Let's see. If I can look at my history. Nope. The <laughs> app is being. All right, I got to almond. Where are you, Jess? Three. I clicked on protein. Six. Took me six clicks to get there. Six clicks? That's good. It's not bad. I think I messed up with legumes, but, you know, I got there eventually. I'm sure I will get there soon. (laughs) What was your first click out of Teletubbies? Bears. Bears. (laughs) Bears. <laughs> okay, my path was Teletubbies to chicken nuggets to vegetarianism to fruitarianism to legume to peanut to almond. <laughs> what is that, six or seven? Seven. Somehow I think that going to protein was a mistake. Oh, I'm no. not good at, um, at making decisions in front of people. So <laughs> we can... <laughs> We can oh, end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we can end here, where Jessica's stuck on protein. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Well, well, uh, Jess, what was your path? What path were you taking? 
I mean, I didn't go very far. I just, from Teletubbies, I went to bears, and then I went to omnivorous, and then I went to proteins. I think you were close. Protein. Anyway, okay, that was the treat of the day. I encourage everyone to read about Wikipedia because uh, it's something that we use every day and everybody seemingly uses it, but it does have its own biases and uh, problems and its own games too. That was a great treat. Yeah, give yourself some time today to go on a little Wikipedia hole. <laughs> um. You started talking about teaching earlier, and that makes me just want to give a shout out to all the K through 12 teachers, public school teachers right now that are like dealing with with such a mess. Um, it seems like since shelter in place started, that would have been a good time to really start developing online learning in public schools, but it seems like a lot of the groundwork did not get laid. By the authorities in charge and so now <laughs> with schools reopening and then oh maybe not reopening just doing uh, online learning I know some friends of mine are scrambling just now to like learn how to use canvas which is a learning management system that we use in our team and I just want to give all the teachers out there some love <laughs> and support and if you are a tech person and you know how to use Canvas or other online learning tools, like reach out to your friends and <laughs> teacher friends and offer them some help because. Uh, eh. Here, here. Yes, applause for teachers. So, should we go talk to Lauren? I see her walking into the cafe right now. Hey, oh, Lauren. Hey, hey Lauren. <laughs> We're over here, sitting down <laughs> at the table. anything like that no it's only three and a half drives from three and three and a half drives <laughs> that's a lot of drives <laughs> andrew this is the earliest i've been up i know, I know. <laughs> this is gonna be a fun episode i actually i still have to get so up and get my coffee we're rolling everyone's ro rolling wait I'm if recording. we're rolling i need I coffee <laughs> I, I feel do. bad about asking i feel bad about asking you to turn off your ac because uh, you're you know, literally killing me. You're, you're gonna die. It's okay. Um, I'm just changing my bandage. If you hear any band-aid sound effects. Oh wait, can we see? Oh yeah, I have it exposed right now. Uh, oh. Oh, it's healing though. Healing pretty good. It's healing up oh, it really good. well. Yeah. But uh, I looked like Fra it looked like Frankenstein's finger. Um, <laughs> two uh, two weeks ago. Wow! Wait, did you get stitches? I did. Yeah, I got eight stitches. Wow! And, I mean, uh, I mean, if you're on antibiotics for a cut, it sounds it sounds bad. Yeah. yeah. And um, uh, yesterday I made it bleed because I I was um, being too rambunctious. And uh, so sanding I that wood again, huh? <laughs> I cannot wait for the day. <laughs> I really want to get back to my wood project. But anyway, tell me about swimming pools. 
<laughs> oh, gosh. Um, well, they're hard to find, or at least hard to find um, ones that... Well, see, that's the thing. So there's a lot of water parks, but not swimming pools unless you join a gym. And then it's hard to find a gym unless it's sort of like... Um, well, they had one. It's kind of more like a country club, um, which it mm. seems too high maintenance. It's just like, you know, I just want to go swimming. <laughs> I don't want to sign up for I don't want to sign up for too many things. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but I did find what was fun. It wasn't a swimming pool, but I did find a fun lake that you can swim in a portion of. And that was really nice. Uh, where's the lake? It's in, um, I guess, close to Livermore. Um it's, uh, mm. uh, what is it? Del Valle Park, I believe. Oh, you know, my, um, my old roommate got a boat just so that he could go to lakes in the middle, like in, in that area yes. and just, you know, drive around on the water. That sounds so amazing. Yes. It's beautiful. And there's lots of trails you can hike. Um, but I wanted to go again this summer. I, I have been. considered I have considered instead of uh, unrealistically saving up to buy a house, you know, saving up to buy a boat instead and live on it. <laughs> oh, nice. Boat life. <laughs> I could see that I, for you, Andrew. <laughs> I have <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of the statement. Uh, I do have a, a theater friend who lives on a boat in the San Francisco Bay Area. Andrew, if you ever... Uh, oh, want some tips? Want to talk to someone. Tips yeah. and strategies. Yes. Um, Andrew said that just texted me that I should get started, which is true. <laughs> uh, I was responding to my service now message because I'm getting a new computer. Yeah, I have to go Yay. pick it up, and it already came through, and I'm so excited, which means. Maybe someday I'll have an actual microphone instead of recording um, on this earbud setup. Yippee! Nice. Yay! Wait, what's wrong with Perfect. your old computer uh, now? Um. Well, for starters, I hate it. It's <laughs> and uh, I. It's like three years old, and it um, only has USB-C ports which may have been the promise of the future, but no one has caught up to that with accessories or things that I need to plug into my computer, like my mouse or my uh, keyboard or a microphone. All mm. of those things require USB-A ports. And in addition, none of my ports like work. So anytime I have a dongle, that accessory just doesn't work all the time. It only works some of the time, including um, a computer monitor. And if I plug too many things into the dongles, then my internet will stop working. Wow. So I've I heard about this problem. Yeah, I can't use my monitor and my internet at the same time. It's amazing. Like the, the design of these computers is to make them like these beautiful vessels for, for the software. But then if something breaks or the battery dies or a key has a crumb underneath, <laughs> it ceases to function at all. <laughs> yeah. Good point. You get a lot of crumbs in your keys. 
<laughs> William. I, my my space bar on my old computer doesn't work because there's a mystery crumb underneath it. <laughs> and and I'm so and I'm so paranoid about this stuff that I got my own mechanical keyboard. <laughs> Where I can actually remove the keys myself if something's wrong. Oh, oh I that's one good. of those. And oh, and listen to this sound. I might, I might actually accidentally close the window, but listen <laughs> to this. Deliciously <laughs> annoying. That's <laughs> I know I'm a hard typer, so. The hard. The previous boss I had that was a hard typer. She was also a one finger. Oh, so deliberate. Oh. Like a librarian. The hunt and peck. <laughs> <laughs> the hunt and, the hunt and attack. <laughs> okay, let's start. Eee! I'm so excited. Our guest today is Lauren Watley, who is a longtime member of Sanford EdTech. Lauren is a resident multitasker and cat lady. She provides the <laughs> office. <laughs> she provides the office with laughter as well as production support as an editor and illustrator. At Stanford School of Medicine, she's thrilled to continue to perfect her creative prowess and assist a great team of innovators and thinkers. Welcome, Lauren. Woohoo! How was that bio, Lauren? I think I need to update it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. It, does, it is a little uh, outdated because, you know, you have things like animator and like, aren't you like coding too? Yes, I've added more to my repertoire. So I, I guess I should add that. <laughs> but you're still, our, you're still our resident cat lady. Yes, yes. I need to add more. Just, just one cat. Just a one cat lady for now. <laughs> <laughs> one day i'd love to give you a run for your money as cat lady someday i'll get a cat <laughs> yes yes i mean i'm, I'm not the only one i guess there's there's a couple of cat ladies i think no you're our cat lady yeah. i'm a cat lady without a cat okay and that doesn't really count <laughs> i'm also a cat lady without i'm a cat boy if you think about it <laughs> Because I've I had I've had five cats and I live <laughs> William, with William. You can be a cat man. <laughs> you yes. can be a cat lady too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think I'm ready for a dog, um, but I also want a cat. Yes, I know. Ideally, it would be nice to have both. Um, yeah. And I've been watching a lot of videos on how you integrate a dog into a home where a cat <laughs> is there, and it's very fascinating. Um, mm. Apparently, it's better to, I, they say it's better if you have a cat that's already there and you bring the dog in versus you have a dog and then try and bring a cat in. Oh, <laughs> that makes sense. Because cats are, um, apparently, they're more creature of territory rather than of person. I'm probably getting that wrong, but so... Cats, I guess they're territorial, and so they claim they own the space. And so they, it's kind of basically it's supposed to be on their terms, whoever is coming into the house. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> but I mean, it's not quite the same right with dogs. To me. Huh? That sounds right to me. <laughs> For sure. Lauren, did you grow up with both? No, did actually. you always have cats? Dogs. I always had dogs. Oh. oh. Did you always have dogs and know that you wanted a cat? 
Yes, I always loved cats um, just from other people that um, I would meet growing up and they would have cats. And I never I was never someone that was um, anti-cat or more of a dog person than a cat person. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it just so happens I just always grew up having a dog. Um, But the last dog that I had, Savannah was her name. Um, she, I would joke around because she was actually more like a cat than a dog. And so I think that was my mm. precursor. <laughs> I love that uh, cat and dog are like sh- these shorthands we have for different types of energy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, like a dog, a dog like cat or a cat like dog, you know, just like immediately <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. What's your cat's name? Lois. 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 Miss Lois. Excuse me. Miss yes, Lois. Miss Lois is what I've heard. That's right. Yes. That's a great cat name. I know. It's kind of funny because it's sort of, I call it like an old timey <laughs> name. Yeah. Um, kind of sounds like a grandma to me. Yes. Like it's, Ethel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but the reason why I didn't have a special attachment to that name, but when I first got her, I brought her in. And so. She was kind of getting to know the space and I was just kind of talking and trying to see if she was, you know, going to communicate back. And so I was thinking of like what I hadn't thought of a name yet. And so I was thinking and for some reason, Lois Lane, because she was investigating the space. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, she's like oh. a detective reporter. And so oh. I was like, Lois. So I just said Lois. And she said, meow. <laughs> perfect. So that's it how it was. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> I, you would name your cat for her smarts. I love it. Yes, I was trying to do the. I was trying to get it right. <laughs> you did a great job. Uh, for our listeners, Lois is a beautiful calico cat, and I think the name fits perfectly. Not that I have any say, and also you've had her for such a long time. Um, Can okay. I say what her first name was? So when I adopted her, so they give the cats names. And um, since she was a tortoiseshell, her name on her identification was Tort. <laughs> Tort. 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 Yes. And so I did try to call her that, and she didn't respond. So I was like, I'm going to change this. Ugh. <laughs> That's a terrible name. I know it didn't fit her at all. She was too grand for it. So yeah. too grand. I love these descriptions. <laughs> <laughs> They're so homey. <laughs> Just Lauren. like the the shape of the of your mouth when you say tort is yeah. unpleasant, tort. Ugh. So did you try out all these names and see which ones she responded to, and that's how you like you like move towards Lois? Yes, I forgot what other names I said, but I was just, I was just talking. I was just throwing Agatha. things out, <laughs> seeing what fits. Exactly. Speaking of what fits, no. I got to work on these segues, y'all. Lauren, you <laughs> work with so many different types of media. You draw things with your hands. You illustrate things on the computer. You've taught yourself how to code and like built a very cute, if I may say, uh, website. Oh, um, just for oh, yeah, let's, let's plug that for her. LaurenWatley.com. <laughs> Thank you. I finally have something to go to. There's there's a page yes. there. Yes. It's a very fun website. <laughs> Thank and you. Andrew, kudos to you to actually having the URL correct before plugging it this time. <laughs> <laughs> it's fresh in my memory. When uh, Lauren, I asked Lauren for a bio, she said, why don't you try the uh, website instead? 
and she had a bio bot, which was very cool. It, it obviously didn't work uh, for like, you know, we needed like a paragraph's worth of uh, material, but the bio bot was a lot of fun. It was as if like Lauren was was on the other side just chatting with you. She had these like auto responses uh, <laughs> picked out. She asked you questions like, do you like to travel? And if you, depending on how you, well, actually, maybe all responses had the auto response of, uh, oh, wow, from Lauren <laughs> set up. Um, and it was very cute. But the whole thing is very cool. Like, I, I don't know, like, what some of those uh, animations mm. are, but it seems like they were part of, like, a coding project or something like that. Yes. Um, well, so which which animations? There, there were, like... Uh, like sw- like swirling it kind of looked like um it reminded me of a uh, microsoft desktop screensavers oh in the interactive hell yeah, yeah the interactive ones yes so yeah what the heck are those oh these are awesome um well so it's using the library the p5.js which um so when i was in school i had taken uh interactive coding course, but it was using um, C, C++, which is the language that um, this um, tool called processing, I don't know, open processing, if anyone's heard of it. Um, so I had started making these kind of, they call them sketches. And so um, part of the was me learning how to code was kind of creating these interactive drawings um, that they call sketches. And so once they created a JavaScript library to, I guess, translate the C++ into JavaScript, because you could only use, you could only um, test out the interactive if you had um, the open processing program. So basically, so it was nice when they finally created the libraries so that I could just kind of uh, convert that code into JavaScript and then have it be in the browser. Um, So I had all these sketches that I was able to translate and then I was like, okay, now I have to finish my website so I can put them on there and then I'll add to them. Um, Cause they're kind of like living, I kind of like it as being kind of a living kind of open drawing where you'll just kind of add things to the code and then some of the user can come and kind of do different things to it over time. Mm. So you've so, been coding for a long time then. I guess so, but it's just, it feels like I'm still only scratching the surface. There's just so much to learn. I always feel like, I'm just, yeah, I have so much more to learn. But I have been a little bit. I've stuck with it, which has been good. Is that is that kind of like your new, like, I, I realized I kind of took the attention away from Jessica's original question, which was, <laughs> uh, what's like your favorite type of media to, to work with? And so is coding and doing all that, um, like C++, is that kind of like your new pet favorite? right now it's part of it like i i still really like um animation and animating and trying to learn different techniques um but what's nice with coding is i think it's uh relates to the issue of control there's so many things where it's you can't you don't have as much control over but with coding since it's either it works or it doesn't and um i guess i like the idea of having the control to be able to build something and kind of know how it's working from the bare bones of it all because it gives me a sense of like control I guess (laughs) I don't Mm. know if that makes sense yeah you don't have to like 
uh, stick with what Adobe provides. You, you can just kind of program and create things yourself, right? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, though, to learning coding and then working with programs that's based on code and thinking about what's underneath, how, you know, when you're drawing something, like what's going on, how is that working? Or when you open a window, that that's like a function in and of itself. And um, nothing seems as mysterious, even though I love things that are mysterious, but it's, I guess it's that tension where I like to, if it's something that is mysterious, I like to feel like I can go into it and learn about it. Just like Miss Lois, you know, you're like investigating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that um, I like what you're saying about like uh, about mystery, because I feel like a lot of our world and the things that control our world are becoming more mysterious. I mean, with with AI, for instance, it's it's like literally it's like a black box. Nobody knows what these machine learning algorithms are doing um, to to learn. Right. So it's really comforting to be able to look under the hood of um, something that you're working on and understand how it's really functioning. Yes. I love your animations, Lauren. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sorry. I was, uh, I was just chatting with you on, um, on your website. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, isn't that fun? <laughs> it's I, really fun. I'm so, so this was just the first test. Um, but I really like that. I was going to post it in our innovations channel, um, on Slack, but it's cool. I found this land bot. Well, how I found it was that I had a friend that wanted to possibly do like, um, like a fortune telling oracle sort of a thing. And she wanted to know if there was an easy way to do it without knowing how to code or, um, and so I was thinking about that. And so it made me start researching. And then I found, I was like, well, maybe that could be, this oracle could be sort of like a chat bot. So I found this landbot.io um, and it's really, really easy to use. The interface is super um, accessible and, um, I'll have to share it. We'll have to all look at it together. But it's really user-friendly, and you can just hit the ground running. And basically, you're just kind of like, um, it has that, I don't know if you've seen sort of nodes or like, mm -hmm. if you looked yeah. at like Unreal Engine, how they have where you, you kind of, um, like you have a like a canvas, and so there's like a, a module thing, and you can kind of connect, like it'll, you you can connect inputs to another and yeah inputs and outputs yes yeah. thank you um so it's all of that and then you can basically just enter in what you want and you can uh, add in images video um and it's really customizable so if you do have a little bit of like coding and uh, knowledge you can go mm -hmm. in and kind of redesign it but it was really fun so the idea was i, I didn't have i I wasn't able to do the Oracle, but I was thinking as I was doing my website, I had to create a bio page or I was thinking like, how do I do that? And since I don't like doing that, which is why I haven't updated my, <laughs> my other website bio, bio. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I decided I was like, I should turn it into a chat bot because it takes the pressure off of me of trying oh, to I list like everything out. So I was thinking like it would be more fun for me to have it be more conversational and for me to put myself in the other person's situation of like, what would they want to know about me? And then I could kind mm -hmm. of like pretend like I'm there answering the question. I think that's super fun. I also want to go look at it right now. Pro programming all responses. As, oh, yeah. wow. I love it. 
Uh, Where so, would you go right now? Hmm. Sorry, uh, your uh, <laughs> land, your your chatbot asked me where I want to travel to, and I want to go to California. What do you mean, chatbot? It's Lauren herself, don't you know? <laughs> oh William, my God! Lauren it's the crazy right owl meme. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, and a selfie. <laughs> this is great. Okay, sorry. You're probably. <laughs> It's it's probably the first time I've ever seen someone use a chatbot for a bio page. Yay! I think it's really really unique. I'm gonna add to it. So one of the questions was what I've been what I've been doing in quarantine or with um, shelter in place, and that was one of my um, that was one of my positive things that's come out of working from home and being in shelter in place is that I I, I recouped time to um, finally get this going and finished because basically I'd taken my website it it had been kind of like a work in progress and it was up but then I'd taken it down and then I just didn't have time and then it just you know more time went away or went uh went by and I just hadn't had the time to do it so um that's basically what I've had the time to do since I've been in shelter in place oh my gosh Lauren you could make you could (laughs) make a bio bot for Lois (laughs) so we like to ask everyone of our guests um how life and work has changed under covid since many of us now are working from home more often than we used to um and i love that that you finally found the time to pour creative energy into your website that's so great how has your your work work changed work at stanford yeah. Uh, has your process had to change at all now that you're working more from home? Um, it's actually maybe maybe a little bit. I guess mainly just being able to be more flexible with my time. Um, I think what was hard before all of this, even though it's kind of weird to say, but um, I was definitely struggling with the kind of balance of um, since I didn't live close to uh, campus. And then once we moved to Redwood City, but I, um, as you guys know, because I've always complained about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How how long on a typical day would you have said your commute was driving into campus from home? Um, so that's probably an hour and 40 minutes. So one way. One way. So that's basically um, a little almost up to four hours, sometimes give or take. I feel like that's kind of the average. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it doesn't seem, it seems kind of insignificant, but over time it does add up. And then just kind of being stuck in traffic and just kind of feeling zapped by the time I did get home, I didn't have any energy to do anything other than vegetate and, <laughs> and prepare for the next day. <laughs> Please do not in any way think that that is insignificant. That's a huge <laughs> chunk of time and like a huge commitment to working here. And so, yeah, that's a massive amount of time to get back. Yeah. And so I guess I was saying, like, I think I I would just mentally be, even while at work, I would just kind of still be mentally preparing myself for commuting home. And Mm. that messes up. That's just, it's just not really the, the most ideal situation. So having, being here and not being able to worry about having to commute um, definitely, it not only it gives me more time, but I feel like mentally it 
opened up time for me to not have to be worrying about something. That I am with you there. Yes. Because <laughs> we we are the two, or I guess you're not in Oakland anymore, but we were definitely the two with some of the longer commutes in our office. Yes. I know. How how have you been? Oh, I've I've been I've been great. You know, sleeping in until nine or ten, uh, waking up waking up to the first meeting that had to happen, uh, having time to cook dinner at home and all that. It's been fantastic. I'm not complaining. I wish I could work from home all the time. <laughs> well, this might be something that is the reality. Well, from yeah. what uh, Irfan, my manager, had told me was. Uh, that we're looking, we're possibly looking at work from home until the end of the year. Um, definitely no live events or live shoots um, on our plate until at least the end of August. But in terms of coming back in, unless you're like some essential worker or um, you have absolute, absolutely urgent business on campus, um, we're not looking at uh, to return anytime soon. Can you imagine the dust? On I do think about my desk quite, yeah, quite often. It's like, what is going on over there? Like, I know. I feel like when we come back, it's going to be different and our stuff is going to be gone. So. Actually, yeah, yeah it'll just be gone. <laughs> uh, but Lauren, another way that your work has changed under COVID is that you've been spending a lot of time working on COVID-specific projects doing COVID education, right? Yes. Yeah, we actually talked to Carlos uh, Sanchez and CMA Johnston from Digital Medic last week, or I guess in our last episode. Um, and they're basically part of that team that you've been doing a lot of COVID art, art, uh, art work <laughs> for, right? Yes. So can you, like, can you just talk about like what you did or what you have been doing? Um, sure. So I was brought on to help assist with um, their public uh, outreach, these animations, basically short animations that they wanted to get out very quickly. And so I basically helped on creating the some of the assets that would be animated and then uh, working on the character animation and motion graphics animation. Um, and I believe there were six videos that they produced I think I worked on pretty much all of them except for two. Um, so the videos range, they went from um, basically all the different ways to help educate people on the best practices during COVID. And so I think it started out with the social distancing, which ended up, mm -hmm. it's better to say physical distancing, even though I don't think they ended up changing it. But that was the first video. And um, from there, it went to like dealing with respiratory secretions. So how to making sure you how to the best way to cover your cough and um, uh, a lesson that we've needed for a long time. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been crazy just with them um, from the initial uh, information that was being de uh, delivered to us from since March and how how that's changed and and wanting to adapt to what the best information or the most accurate information is. Yeah. Um, so this, this project, the science was evolving yes. as you were making the assets and that did that feel different than normal? Normally I feel like we're kind of more working on like a pet project that the faculty has been thinking about for decades. 
Right. Did this feel a little different? Yeah. I mean, it was different in the fact that we were just forced to deal with the time crunch because they the immediacy of needing the content to get out was very much a big um, a big stake in sort of how we were going to work. Um, and it allowed you, you, you couldn't really spend too much time on something. So it forced you to want to uh, draft and, and produce very quickly. Let's just say, which and is a good did- exercise, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a great exercise. Because even in our pet projects that faculty have been thinking about for decades, we still need to make changes after we've um, done drafts or even final drafts. So I think that's a great lesson. Yes. So Lauren, I want to learn about how you found your way to Stanford and got more into sciencey stuff, but I feel like in order for our listeners to know why that sounds a little unexpected to me, I feel like we need to hear about some of your other jobs that you've had. Cause <laughs> when I, <laughs> Every time I hear about another past job that you had, I'm always flabbergasted because like, <laughs> you worked in a museum, right? Yes. The Legion of Honor. Yes. Uh, and you've worked in an antique shop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What was that you... place called? Big Antiques or something? Oh, Big Daddy's Antiques. <laughs> oh, Big Daddy. <laughs> Yes. That was right next to my school. Yes. Yep. Right down the California street. California College of the Arts. That is true. I oh, know. I like you called Big Daddies. <laughs> yes. And you would just say, yeah, I can't talk about that too much, but that was one of my jobs that um, that was towards <laughs> the last end of my senior year. Um, or wait, that was probably, yeah, the full year, that last year, senior year of undergrad. Which, because I was an undergrad twice, I don't need to bring that up. <laughs> but I, because I, it makes it seem, because I think undergrad, and it, I think of the first time, and so I'm like, that was a, that was a long time ago. But the undergrad the second time wasn't that long ago. Um, but yeah, at that school, so I was working. Basically, I had three jobs, and then two jobs, and then one job, and then I found this job. Um, but. Leading up to um, this job, I was doing a lot of sales work and also working on campus as um, I was called the digital media studio monitor, which involved many different tasks. So that was kind of my first, I guess, more segue into ed tech. But I really wanted to not be doing sales jobs anymore. They were very easy to get. And especially, you know, when you have kind of flex or hours that you need to devote to schoolwork. Um, so it's, you know, finding the, there's certain jobs that I wanted to have part-time, but it was only going to be temporary essentially. And so I really wanted to try to move away, but again, it was hard because you have to start somewhere and I was kind of starting new. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm rambling. Am I moving away from the no, original this is great. conversation? <laughs> no, everything you're saying is great. Did you always have like even, you know, um, working on these uh, these other types of jobs? um, Did you always have this like knack for illustrations, animations, you know, like like all these things that you do now? Yeah. Um, Were there like inklings of it? Oh, yeah. I mean, even from 
my first undergrad <laughs> experience, um, I was always doing creative things on the side, um, but it wasn't it wasn't what I was learning or it wasn't what I was working on. And so that was always hard, um, but I needed to. And then once I went to art school, I basically switched gears and then went to art school and focused on that. So that was my goal was after I graduated, I was going to really just focus on trying to find work um, in that field, even though I really didn't know what what opportunities were going to be because, you know, it's still all new. And I also set myself up because I end up multitasking and having a lot of things, interests that I like to do, which can be hard when you just want to narrow something down and and people want to see, okay, you know, mm. <laughs> what are you, what is your kind of focus and your specialty, I guess? Oh, absolutely. I'm finding having all those different interests can, they can all come back together though. Yeah. It seems like it is for you. I think so. Um, was there a sort of a deciding factor uh, when you decided to go to art school? Can you talk about what led you there? Yeah, um, well, I had taken time off to work and to save. And actually, when, because I was in, I lived in New York, that was my first, because um, I was at the new school. And then I ended up moving back to California. And, um, and then I got a job. Actually, my first museum job was at the Craft and Folk Art Museum, which is across the street oh, from yeah. the LA County Museum. Mm. And so that was fun. So I was always surrounded by art, even though it was more uh, craft centered. But I really loved working in that space and seeing the different artists come in and um, and going to the artist talks and seeing the whole like setting up of the galleries and installations. And it was something that was always around. And so finally, I just was like, I, I think I, this is just what I want to do because I knew I wanted to go back to school, um, but I didn't because I was a anthropology uh, with the like minor in psychology major before, but I didn't want to do straight academic work and I really wanted to do something creative. Um, so that's where the art school idea came in. Nice. Um, what project at Stanford has been your favorite to work on so far? Oh gosh, I was thinking about this. This kept me up in the middle of the night. <laughs> Basically, because I really, I mean, they're all so different. It's, I think of them as such a progression. And from like the first time from when I first started working here to now. And um, so in that way, I feel like all of the projects have been have been my favorite for different reasons. Um, but I guess I was going to say, I think stress management for some reason stood out or the transition. I think it was between pans and stress management. Not that pants was my favorite, but I was working on like I was I was working on a lot of different things, and I was getting uh, I felt more getting more confident in the character animation because that's where we started using uh, the tool character animator, Adobe yeah. character animator. Yeah, and that was can really you, fun when we started. Can you describe that. Can you describe that project a little bit? Because I I know I mean obviously for our listeners um, they don't know what that project is, but even for me I. I barely touched it. So I have very little idea of what that project turned out to be. So the whole course is basically to, um, be, because emergency medicine is a very, very, very stressful job. And 
the requirement of being able to work in a high stress situation, which I guess that's the sort of difference between, I just learned a lot from that course, the difference between acute stress versus, I guess, the more normal stresses that people are or, used to. Uh, chronic stress. Chronic stress, yes. Yeah, because there are a lot of resources for how to deal with chronic stress. Right. And so this one was more focused on like when you're in the moment in an acutely stressful situation, it impairs your cognitive and physical ability, um, like it it impedes your decision making. It might make your hand shaky because your heart rate is raised. It has all these like physical and emotional effects on you. So this course was to try to um, give you tools to mitigate that impact. Yes, you said that very wonderfully. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wrote the script. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so I guess for, um, in that course, I did, I remember drawing a lot of hands in preparation for the character that I didn't actually do the character animation as much for that course, but I like to do, I got really into doing the motion graphics. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was something about, I just, the creative process was fun. Um, and then I liked learning. It was like the, uh, marriage between like having fun with the making the content but then also learning a lot too and feeling like I was I don't know I I just I really like when we're able to um work on courses that are meaningful in many ways but you're also learning it's learning as well that often seems to be the case with like most of our projects because I've I mean after being here um I've basically learned like so much about like I remember like musculoskeletal therapy was pretty big for me because at the time I, I just started uh, working here and um, was experiencing my first bouts of like lower back pain and like <laughs> you know um, uh, you know things like that. Um, but there was also just like stuff that stuff that I would never ever think about or come across if I just did not work here or if I wasn't in um, the medical field like like PANS which is like some rare like pediatric neurological disorder um, yeah things like that I think um, uh, I really well to give some more context for what Lauren's been doing uh, <laughs> thank you I really love uh, <laughs> I so basically like what one thing we've learned in like the in the five years of doing ed tech here at Stanford is that doctors uh, who we work with and the faculty who we work with are changing their minds constantly about what they want and what and and because medicine is a evolving field, the information is always changing too. So we've leaned a lot into animation as um Aaron has basically pioneered all of our character animation to create like animated hosts for all of the courses uh and animated characters for the patient for vignettes that we make about patient cases and i feel like the evolution of our course content really starts with like what you were doing on the psychosis course that we made oh yeah remember that yes yeah, see 
I, it's, we've done so much. So many uh, that yeah, it's easy to forget. Yeah. And, and so you created all of these characters for the psychosis course so that we could show the story of a young woman experiencing early signs of psychosis and getting or not getting treatment. And then we created these stories and that was the first bout. And I remember like we were, everyone was so happy with the character work that you did not to lavish praise on you, Lauren, but, but like every, I feel like it was a standout part of that project. And then we did it again, but better on the next course, which was pans. And then we did it again, but better with acute stress management, like adding, uh, you know, gestures, like you were saying, drawing a bunch of hands. So the host of stress <laughs> management is like, very like well I guess literally animated but I remember like one of my favorite parts of that course and working with you on that course was I gave you a, a list of like expressions that or gestures that I wanted um the host Mike to have mm -hmm. and remember like just like coming up with names for all of these hand gestures right. um <laughs> oh like, you had the room reference yeah, there's like the why, Lisa, why? Yes. <laughs> You're tearing me apart. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and like, I don't know, that whole like process of using character animator and character animation to bring these narrators to life has, has evolved into bringing more of the team and even hiring other people to come in and help us do more of that character animation and I don't know. It's just, I mean, it's, it's even, awesome. It's even trickled yeah. out to like the rest of the team. Like I would have never imagined myself like even tinkering with any of that stuff. But yeah. um, I remember for, I think it was the pans project. Um, I had been assigned some tasks for character animation. And I remember bothering Lauren quite frequently about how to do this, how to do that. And it's really, yeah. Like William was saying, it's like really made a lasting influence on the team. You did such a good job. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. You did such a good job that you changed the direction of our work. Maybe oh forever. Because I can tell you, it's much easier to get faculty, coax the performance we want out of a faculty for purely audio versus on camera. Especially in like a vignette, the acting for them is can be difficult on camera. Lauren, do you right. have any, a background in acting or acting training at all? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> because um, you, we keep, the team keeps using your acting skills for different projects and you always deliver. Oh, I guess I'm a natural. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I did. Well, that was my first, I think, more serious acting role was the um, fun project that we had, which was the 48 hour film festival. Yeah, that we, we did. That. Oh, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Lauren was our star. Yes, I was. And I and you were nominated for best actress. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I, that was really that was very you nailed it. I know. And so basically. What's funny is that I've always been, I've been, I've had acting situations come in 
in my life, but I've always kind of shied away or ran away from it because it's a little stressful. Sometimes I can get a little bit anxiety of being um, in front of the camera, in front of people. Um, But that goes back from, you know, when I was younger. But I used to do things when, you know, in elementary school and high school or like mainly no middle school, elementary school, I would always be in sort of like some kind of performance, but I was more dancing. I like dancing and Mm -hmm. acting was always a little bit more challenging, but I would like play around with it, but nothing too serious. It's funny. You mentioned like anxiety in front of the camera, because (laughs) I remember when you, uh, when you first worked with, or I, I guess every time you work with Adobe character animator, it's like I, I I turn over and I see you, uh, you know, basically um, doing all these facial expressions for the camera yeah. and doing them very like um, exaggerated uh, because, you know, the camera needs to like pick up your expressions. And and basically, I mean, just to provide a little context on how that works, it's like you create all these um, what do you call them? Uh, uh, puppets. Yes. Um, which are basically like skeletons, I guess, um, for either like faces or different um, body parts and you rig everything up so that the program uh, character animator can screen capture um, someone like Lauren um, sitting in front of the computer and recording her facial expressions in front of the camera and, and matching that to the puppet that they had created. So I, I remember um, uh, I mean, I think it's even part of our, um, what do you call it? The EdTech trailer or like our reel? Our reel, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, an integral part of that was was just looking at Lauren <laughs> working with Character Animator, <laughs> having these dots on her face and just raising her eyebrows or smiling or something. It's funny. I have I have a collection of screen <laughs> screenshots that I take when I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have to share those. <laughs> the, I love when I I I love when the puppets break and like oh, the yeah. head gets too small and the arm is like five times as long as it should be. Yes, I know. I, think, I love it too, and I always like seeing Hui's reaction because like, it, yeah. it's usually his artwork too that I'm right. messing up. <laughs> I. I think, uh, I, I mean, I really genuinely feel like the character animation uh, work that basically you establish on the team is uh, like the cut, one of the cutting edges of ed tech of, I mean, like this character animation tool that we're using, Character Animator, is also used by The Simpsons. They used it for a live performance. Nickelodeon does a lot of projects for um, to, to promote their shows using Character Animator. The Late Show with Stephen Colbert also has like a running Character Animator segment, and I feel like it's just amazing. Like where these tools were able to do essentially live performances yeah. that we could then go back and refine, but it, it makes animation accessible to the type of work that we do. Yes. So Lauren has brought Hollywood to our team. Oh, Stanford at Tech. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to be humble on this podcast. <laughs> I was going to say, I really want to, I haven't played around with it, but I know the capability of 
using character animator and uh, working with like social media and making it live is really fascinating to me. And I was thinking, I haven't seen anyone doing it, but it would be fun. Cause I know I haven't, I have not used it, but Twitch, I guess there's a, a plugin or a way where you can um, kind of create like an animation and interactive and put it to switch. And I guess like there could be other people that sign in and that can, uh, I think there might be buttons or triggers that they can actually trigger from the puppet that you created in real time. So I was thinking it would be cool to, if it was like kind of a, a band or something where people, where there are different characters and someone could log in as one of the uh, musicians and then you could do like a real time kind of like live band, but that you're all animated characters. Oh. oh, I love that idea. That's awesome. I want to do it. I want to figure it out. I don't know. How we should prototype it. We could do it. Maybe maybe when um, uh, our current project is over, we can uh, spend some time having fun with that. Now, yeah. now is the time to find new ways to do live performance together since uh, mm-hmm. so many normal like in-person live things can't happen. Now is the time to experiment with them. Mm-hmm. One one additional twist to this idea. Oh. Um, (laughs) Do you remember, uh, does anyone remember Twitch Plays Pokemon? No. 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 (laughs) Okay, this was like six years ago. Um, Somebody wrote some code so that they were live streaming um, a playthrough of the original Pokemon game, Pokemon Blue, and the chat would enter the control commands um, onto the live stream and they would be controlling the character in real time using the chat. Oh, wow. It it became this phenomenon. Like I remember live streaming it uh, at work, just watching it happen. And over three weeks, like, hundreds of thousands of people got on to simultaneously try to control this character and (laughs) which was complete chaos right and (laughs) and through like a lot of planning and google docs and like warring factions between people who wanted to actually (laughs) try to beat the game and people who were actively attempting to not beat the game trolls (laughs) yeah it was was trolls and people who are really trying to beat the game and and over three weeks of constant play like three weeks solid they actually beat the game um but so amazing so what if we did something like the band that we create could also be controlled like the like instruments by the chat too. Yes. <laughs> That's what I want to do. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, new uh, new uh this can we call this research? Can yes. this be our professional R&D. development? R&D. Yeah. 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 It's R&D. <laughs> I like it. Lauren, as our as our as a parting gift to us, can you tell us about um the Q Center Therapy Project, what you've been doing for that. Is there anything new in this latest project that you've been getting to do? Oh, um, let's see. I'm doing a lot of uh, the charts and some of the graphic design work, which is fun. And I'm getting to use um, 
the Adobe Fresca watercolor brushes, which I really like using on the iPad. Um, and I haven't worked with that with kind of like uh, drawing on another um, tablet and then bringing it in to Illustrator and kind of manipulating it. So that's like, so it's, it's not, I guess it's not very new, but I'm kind of adding in another process, which is fun. And um, I'm working on an interactive, which is taking a lot of time. I will be talking with William afterwards. <laughs> um, but it's fun. So I get to brush, I get to use my coding chops, which is great because it keeps me, um, it keeps the language refreshed in my mind because um, it's very easy to forget. But this one, it's nice because I'm using, I think the last interactive, I'm, I'm learning from the mistake that I had the mistakes that I made from one of the interactives that I had done on another course. Um, so from the, um, as part of my professional development, I had taken some courses that um, really helped. Okay. I'm rambling. <laughs> I'm gonna have That's to what podcasts are for. Okay. Um, so I'm using some of the new, ideas and tools that I learned from the class that I had taken. And so I'm being able to, or I will be able to implement those with this, uh, based on one of the characters. And he, he has a toolbox basically of, um, shoot, now I'm rambling again, William. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're, so you're making like, uh, uh, basically, uh, uh oh. <laughs> See. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it's hard. It's definitely hard. You're you're um you're making a kind of a game where the learners are um able to fill up our characters' toolbox of coping techniques with different um different things, which are either adaptive coping techniques that are good and positive, or they are maladaptive that kind of uh, reinforce negative reaction to trauma. So you get to, the learner gets to decide which things go in that toolbox and they get to see how that affects Nelson's ability to react to traumatic cues. So it's fun. Yeah. It's, um, one of the ways that we're reinforcing the content by by letting the learners have control. Right. No, thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to be working on that. So because um, I'm I'm using some new tricks that I learned and it's going to be better than the last interactive because it um, because it's going to be it's, it's a lot cleaner and it's going to work a lot better in the last one because I know the last interactive I created one of the critiques or the issue which was the really due to the programming that I was using and that I didn't really know a lot yet but it was too clunky and bulky and so it was um and so that's the thing when you're designing for things that live on the web as much as we want it to be beautiful and do all these things it's definitely um hard to to have to encounter the idea of like loading time and mm-hmm. that people don't want to take too long to be sitting somewhere waiting for something to load to get the information, even if it's going to be very spectacular. So that's kind of the one of the things that I'm as I'm designing, I have in the back of my head. And so 
I was able to uh, learn something new and hopefully use it in this one. So that's that's what I'm excited about for this project. Well, speaking of learning new, is there um, anything in the future that you're looking to work on since you're such, you know, since you wear so many hats already? Is there something uh, that you haven't learned or picked up on that you're eager to try? Or are you just looking to like refine all the skills that you do have right now? Um, I'm still looking, always looking to refine. I'm excited about this new research project that we talked about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I, I feel like, and there's just so many new tools, so many things coming out. So I just, I feel like I'm always kind of one eye open and uh, wanting to learn something new, but then also I'm just happy and always just in the background, like refreshing and uh, refreshing my skills and and continuing with the things that I do learn or that I do know how to do right now. Oh my gosh. I love it. (laughs) I cannot talk anymore. (laughs) Sorry. Well, congratulations because you're done. Can you, <laughs> will you give Lois a little pat for me? Only if she wants it. I know sometimes she doesn't want a pat. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. This yeah, thank really you, fun. Lauren. <laughs> I, I got to say, it really is like the inspiring story of the week kind of a thing, because um, for anyone listening out there, just kind of dipping their toes into ed tech or anything creative, um, you know, you had such a roundabout way of, of getting to where you are now. And it's like, after coming to our team, you know, you've done so many things to really just like pioneer and innovate um, our workflow and the things we do and stuff like that. So hold oh, on. Thank you. Let me find that clap again. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you, Lauren. <laughs> That was a real downer, Andrew. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's so nice to get to talk to you for an extended amount of time. I know. I miss you guys. I I miss you, Lauren. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for joining us here today. This has been EdTech Cafe. Please like, subscribe, and review our podcast wherever you listen to it. And uh, thanks for joining us. Give me that outro music.